and welcome to Monkey Business with me, your host, Rosalind Palmer. And I'm joined by the incredible JB Owen, businesswoman, entrepreneur, founder of Ignite Press, of which I'm an author in three of the publications, and quite recently, um, cyclist. I was watching a program called uh, The Toughest Race on Earth, and I think JB probably will be a perfect contender for that next year, because not only, JB, have you created several empires from the ground up through your vision, through your passion, through your drive, through overcoming some incredible obstacles, but for fun, in a way, in what other people would maybe have time off during uh, the summer period with your kids, you decided to cycle 5,000 kilometers across Canada. And uh, I like cycling, but I like cycling in Lincolnshire in England. It's very, very flat. And I take it that Canada really isn't. So what, what, challenge possessed you to do this activity, JB? Hey, Rosalind. So happy to be here. Thanks for asking that question because it really is what's, um, you know, igniting me at the moment, uh, this incredible 5,000 kilometer cycle across Canada. But it really stemmed from the vision of what's possible. What is really, really possible for each and every one of us? And for many of us who've been in sheltering in and just sort of on hold with what's going on in the world and everything with COVID, it felt like um, there was this big pause that we're just waiting to see what to do to go forward. And I really wanted to create this idea of igniting possibilities, of having big dreams, big ideas, and sort of waking ourselves up to what's new and next for each and every one of us. Even though that was probably quite scary to you. Well, it was because I'm not an athlete and I'm not a cyclist. In fact, you know, some of my lifelong, you know, hangups have been not good at sports, not athletic, um, you know, a bit of, I call like a fair weather girl, you know, only golf in the sun and only run when it's nice outside. And just, you know, all of the pretty ways of doing athletics just to the point where I'm tired now, I've had enough. So cycling 5,000 kilometers with a heavy pace of 150 kilometers a day was, yeah, a big, big stretch. The interesting piece of it was I did a lot of mental challenge and I know you're going to ask me, you know, some of my tips and this is the first one. The mental conditioning that I did before I even started this journey was really, truly profound because what I did was I saw the cycling. I saw the 100K in my brain. I saw me on the road, on the bike, on the stretch, you know, completing the day. And it was fascinating because before I even started, the most I had cycled was 40 kilometers. Uh, you know, we were going out after, after dinner, after work and cycling a bit just to get the legs moving. But the very first day I did 98K, the very first day that we went on the trip. And it was fascinating to me because it was easy. It was doable. And it was because I had conditioned my mind so much that my body was just ready for it. And I found that absolutely fascinating. I'd never done 98K in one day. And the first day I did it, because I was mentally seeing it, mentally preparing, mentally in my brain, I was doing it over and over again. So when my body was challenged to do it, boom, it just did it. 
And it was a really, really big awakening to me on how much you can prepare yourself physically for what you need to do by doing that mental conditioning, mental training. And we've heard it and seen it before in in test cases where basketball players have, you know, some have seen the basket shooting, some have done it, then they've tested them. They both had equal, you know, improvements. So it is really powerful, the mental conditioning you can do before you even physically step into the experience. Well, of course, that's my bag. Um, That's why Roger Bannister managed to do the four-minute mile when people actually said it physically was not possible for the human body to do it because he kept visualizing himself going through that finish line just under four minutes. And the year after he did it, there was something like 80 or so people who did it because once they knew it was possible, once they saw it for themselves... But again, I'm, I'm going to come back to this program that I've been watching, uh, The Toughest Race on Earth. Sometimes their bodies do give out. I mean, clearly you can keep pushing on through mentally. How have you managed to get past those grim days, those, you know, cycling into the rain days, upper mountain days, when really probably quitting or having a nice bath, you know, would have been a great idea. How have you got through those physically and mentally? Well, it started really early, actually, in the journey. On the second day I fell, um, just to give you some context, I'm riding a tandem bike. So my husband and I are on the bike together and our feet are clipped into the pedals. So if you don't get your foot unclipped, you're stuck on the bike. So on the second day, we hit some wet gravel coming into a stop and we couldn't get our feet out. We both went down. And of course, I got gravel on my knee and my arm. And it was interesting because um, on this journey, my kids have come with me and my 12 year old immediately, we came into a stop and she was standing there. She saw us fall. She came running over and, you know, there was blood and dirt and everything. And she's like, mom, are you okay? Are you okay? And she was really worried. And I stood up and I said, I'm totally okay. I signed up for this. And it came out of my mouth before I realized, but I said it and I was hurting. I had to get an ice pack and I had to go in and, you know, into our follow vehicle and, you know, take a rest. But the truth is I said, I signed up for this. And in my heart, I knew that with it, with this journey was going to come all the bumps and bruises. And that's with anything. That's with business. That's with family. That's with relationships. When you commit to something so clearly, whatever that is, you have to know that it's going to come with bumps and bruises. And as soon as I said that to myself, I signed up for this. I'm totally okay. Yes, we needed to band-aid it, blah, 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 blah. But my body, my brain knew that I had committed to whatever was going to come from it and I was going to go for it. And that sort of set the precedent for the rest of the trip. And yes, there were days where it was so hard, freezing cold. We had 40 kilometer winds. We had rain pouring down. And I just kept saying, I signed up for this. I signed up for this. I signed up for this. I signed up for this with every single pedal. Has that been your mindset in business? Because I mean, I've known you now for several years and I've never met anybody who is so driven, so visionary. Um, And I don't know how many businesses you've started in the last few years alone, but certainly the whole Ignite, the whole Ignite Publishing, it's an institute, it's gone beyond just books, but you've created so many in such a short period of time. Was that your principal mindset? I've signed up for this. 
I think so. Like, I don't think I verbalized it back then, but I will say I'm really proud that this month we published 14 best-selling international best-selling books in, uh, sorry, 12 in 14 months. We've done 12 best-selling books in 14 months. And again, I look back at that accomplishment and I realize that it was a commitment. It was a devotion. It was a dedication. It was something that I, I guess, yes, I signed up for. I signed up for that commitment. I signed up for all of it that was going to come from it. I signed up to be committed to my authors. I signed up to be the, you know, support for my family. So I would say yes. And maybe I didn't really realize it until I had this biking experience, but it really is the feeling that when you really commit to something like wake up and say, this is my dream, this is my goal, this is what I'm after, you you find all the many layers of it. It's like the 360 degree version of it. And I think a lot of times when people see a business or see a dream, they just see that linear, you know, A to B piece where I have to do this to get to that. And then the dream unfolds in so many different layers that that's why people give up or that's why people think, oh, maybe I failed or it wasn't what it was supposed to be or, you know, the universe is cursing me. The truth is there's so many layers to getting to the goal and getting to the end result. And often we just don't, we don't realize that that's the full package. We just think it should be from here to here. This is what it should take. This is what it should look like. And anything different from that you know, is somehow a failure or it wasn't what it was supposed to be. Or, and so we don't realize that we signed up for the whole deal, the whole package. And I, I really love it when I have to pivot. I love it when I have to sidebar. I love it when I have to take a pause and think of a new idea, think of a new strategy, figure out a plan. Like those things are exciting and thrilling for me. And that's what business is all about. What's been exciting for me is actually the chat we had very briefly before this. So I want to get this down on record. <laughs> you said you'd had an epiphany effectively during the cycling. And hearing you say you've created or published 12 books in 14 months. I know originally you wanted to do 12 in 12 months because, you know, sounds good. Uh, nobody had ever pulled it off before. Originally, you wanted to cycle 5,000 kilometers, but near to the 5,000 kilometers, you've had an epiphany. And I think that probably will affect how you feel about the publishing and everything else. Is that true? Yeah, suddenly, I mean, I really, I've also been on this real weight journey too. So I've got this big goal about being on the cover of Vogue magazine. And so I've gone on this incredible journey, which is what the precipice for cycling was, was to transform my body into what it takes to be on the cover of Vogue magazine. I know just another little dream I thought of, but it's all about numbers. And it's really been fascinating to me how the number on a scale has been so important to me, just like the numbers of the cycling has been the numbers on the bank account, the numbers of followers. And I've really been playing with this idea of how much emphasis we put on the numbers versus the emotion, the feeling. Mm. And so I was, you know, committed to this 5,000 kilometers and about 270 kilometers short, I was just cycling. And this wave came over me of completeness, of fullness, of absolute saturation of, of, I've done it. I feel I've grinded. I've pushed. I've committed. I've tenacity, perseverance. I've done it all. The rain, the fog, the wind, the, the treacherous weather, the, the wet roads, the big trucks. And this feeling came over me of completeness. 
that in the journey, not in the number. And I found it fascinating to think that, you know, what if when I got to that number, I didn't have this feeling, what a letdown that would be. And probably that happens a lot in life. If you look at people who have big successes, they still don't feel like it's enough. And what I realized is we really need to attach to the feeling and the emotion in our dreams, not the number, because I could step on a scale and say I'm a certain number, or I could look at my bank account and say I'm a certain number and be happy. And then tomorrow someone can say, oh, by the way, that was a wrong number. This is the real number. And then feel terrible just based on the number, but not on how I feel. And it's interesting when it comes to weight loss, you know, I feel great. I'm healthy. I'm waking up. I'm cycling seven, eight hours a day. It's really not about the number. It's about how I feel. And that was a big, big awakening for me. So yes, 12 and 12, 12 bestsellers in 12 months was my goal. Uh, We did it in 14 months because of COVID. But what I realized is the emotional piece is way more important than the actual number. And I think that is really going to drive me going forward. Absolutely. And, And I think you're absolutely right. I mean, my favorite novel of all time is The Great Gatsby. And there's a really interesting scene in that where his father comes to look at his house. And he, he, can't, even vis- he can't even work out the house. He's only looking at the photo because for him, that photo was the thing that his son had attained. And even when he's got the house in front of him, he's so fixated on the photo he, he literally can't see or walk around the house because the photo has been the goal. The photo has been the embodiment of everything they did. And so um, I think clearly you need that goal. You need that target. Or she wouldn't have got on a bicycle in rubbish weather and cycled all that way every day. But uh, I think it's beautiful that you actually feel absolutely complete without having to have that Geiger counter of the number. I think that is freedom, isn't it really? Absolutely. And it's a human construct that we really put upon ourselves. I mean, these numbers, I, I, you know, I joke, I like this man made up number that someone came up with is this is success. This is wealth. This is thin. This is, you know, uh, social media success. These numbers, these man-made numbers. And I, that really hit me hard um, when along the journey, we snuck into a Walmart to take a scale off the shelf so I could weigh myself because while I was in the motorhome, I had no idea idea. My mind was not believing that I was, that I had lost weight and that I had reduced my my pounds. So we snuck into Walmart, took a scale off the shelf for me to step on to prove that I had lost weight because my brain couldn't adjust to it. And when I stepped on the scale, of course, it was in a box, so it wouldn't take the accurate number. And I looked at it and I thought, wow, I'm putting all of my happiness on a box, on a cardboard box that was made in a factory by a person who made a number that is supposed to tell me how I feel. And I stood there in the, you know, in the aisle of Walmart thinking, this is so ridiculous. Like JB, ask yourself how you feel. How do you feel right now? You feel fabulous. You feel powerful. You wake up every day. You get on the bike. You're riding. Your muscles don't hurt. You're vibrant. You're full of life. And you're looking at a box, a cardboard box, to tell you how you feel. And it was, I I know it sounds silly, but it was just like, boom, like, how do you feel? Don't look at the box. Ask yourself, how do you feel? And I think in business, in business, especially, we should do that because we want, you know, a, someone to validate us or we want a number or we want a client or we want, you know, certain things to tell us how we're doing. And instead of just asking ourselves, how do you feel? How are you feeling about your business? 
Yeah, well, I, I think I did actually say to you, don't weigh yourself. <laughs> <laughs> if I recall correctly. Yeah. Where did this mindset come from? Where did this ability to tame your monkey brain, to, to become queen of your own jungle, if you like, where were the seeds of that sown for you? Yeah, I won't lie. It didn't come probably from the most healthiest place. I did feel as a child, not noticed, not recognized, not enough. I had a very, very intelligent older sister who was super successful in school and valedictorian and highest marks in our entire province and youngest person ever to go to uh, this special university. And so I was always compared to her. And I remember thinking as a child, like, you know, it's never good enough. It's never good enough. It's never good enough because my... I excelled in the arts and I excelled in, in creativity and, and my gift was really in making things and designing things, which wasn't really recognized by my parents. And so I always felt like whatever I did wasn't enough. And so absolutely grew up with this drive to achieve things that were going to be more and bigger and bigger. The interesting thing is, and I was just saying this a couple of days ago to my husband, that my big dreams of, you know, let's say make a billion dollars or impact a billion lives or be on the cover of Vogue or publish 12 bestsellers in 12 months, these are big numbers and big things that somehow I've been able to accomplish, but there's other goals I have that I've fallen short of. And it's like reiterating that feeling of not enough. And so what I realized, and Rosalind, you're going to love this, is that by making these giant big goals that are kind of sometimes unattainable, I get to keep myself in, you're not enough. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. And so I realized like when we make big, big goals that we can't probably can't reach, technically maybe can't reach, or we keep falling short of them. It's just another way for us to remind ourselves that we're not good enough, or we can't do it, or, you know, that little child voice that holds us back. So that was a big also awakening for me that it doesn't need to be a billion dollars. Or, you know, one of our mandates for Ignite is Ignite a Billion Lives. And I said to my husband again, I still have that mandate to Ignite a Billion Lives. But at 447 lives, 1,000 lives, I might say, I feel complete, or at 600,000, or at 800, or there will be a number where one day I'll feel absolutely complete. Like, yes, my goal was to ignite a billion lives, but I only did 687,000, but I feel totally complete as I was on the journey to that goal. And that was a big twist for me because... I always used to think if I didn't reach the goal, then it was a failure, then it, was, then it wasn't successful. And now what I realize is this is the goal. And as I'm working towards that, it's all about the emotion that I feel. And when I feel like I've done enough, I've done my duty, I've done the best I could, I feel complete, then I get to say thank you. And whatever the number I got to, it's okay. You're very good at making the unfamiliar familiar and going out of your comfort zone, literally. In your early career, how did you segue into that? How did you, from whatever upbringing background you had, how did you have the mindset? Because I know you went into some very interesting worlds to go into those worlds. 
Yeah, I, I think there was a lot. I, I mean, I'm really blessed to have the creative uh, visual side of my mind. And so I would go into visualizing my life differently. I would go into seeing seeing the dream, seeing the life, seeing the lifestyle, seeing the home, seeing the family, seeing the business. And so again, interestingly enough, as a young person, because I had this visual mind of what I wanted to do and what I wanted to achieve, I actually saw it happen before it happened. But it was so much easier to get onto the track of going after it because I could see it. And even my team and my staff around me, they, they always joke because I, they're, they're like, we know you can see it, JB. We know you can see it. You just need to explain it to us, but I can see it. I can already see it done. I can see the finish line. I can see the, the project complete. I can see things so, um, so detailed and so completely done before they're done that it's so easy to go after them and I think I've met people who can't see it who don't have the vision and therefore they don't know what they're going after and so one of the practices I have with a lot of my clients is I'll say let's create the vision first let's start with what it is you want what it is you choose and that's another big shift too is it's not necessarily what you want it's what you choose yeah absolutely you worked with celebrities, though, and, you know, I, I, me also, I've done the same. And they tend to be quite single-minded about their own vision and what they want. How did you navigate that in an early career? Yeah, I worked with celebrities for about 15 years. And, you know, what I noticed very beautifully, and I, I write about this in one of my blogs, is I, I actually worked with David Bowie. And I thought, you know, wow, if anyone could be, you know, diva or demanding or, you know, expect the world, it was him. And uh, I remember one day working with him, we were sitting on the curb uh, in a film set in Vancouver and the tables weren't set up and the chairs weren't set up. So we were sitting literally on the curb. He was wearing a wife beater t-shirt. He was eating a spinach omelet on a plastic plate with a plastic spoon. And we were talking and I was thinking to myself like, wow, he could demand anything. And here he is like, there's no chair. So he's sitting on the, on the, on the curb and he's eating a plastic with plastic utensils. And we were talking and he had some spinach in his teeth. And I remember thinking like, he's just a normal person. He's just like everyone else. He's just, and I had to like tell him like he had spinach in his teeth and he got embarrassed just like everyone else would when you tell them they have spinach in their teeth. And we laughed and he taught me the most incredible lesson that we're all just human. We're all just the same. We're all just normal. And we all have the same insecurities and normal emotions as anyone else. And it, it, he was probably the one person that made me realize fame and celebrities and all of that is, is a persona. And it's something, again, man-made. And the truth is they're just humans. They're just people just like you and I. And they have all the same emotions that we have. That's so true. How, though, have you come back from times, because I know you've had some really tough times, particularly in your early married life, how, again, the mindset, how did you reach the enough is enough and how did you manage to navigate out of that? Yeah, I was in some abusive relationships. And the reason I eventually got out was I, again, realized that I wasn't going to live like this. My life, what I envisioned for myself was way different than my current experience. And what I envisioned and what I wanted and what I chose for my life and chose for my kids was over here. It was this, this was the vision. This was the idea. This is what I needed to obtain. This is where I needed to get to. And so I had to crawl over broken glass and take the steps to get to over here because here where I was, was not working out. Yeah. 
And have there been times you've absolutely walked away from something and maybe regretted it? Absolutely. I had a very, very successful business. You know, it was my, it was my multi-million dollar business. And I did walk away. I was ending my marriage. Uh, my kids were really young. And I just reached that point where I was having the meltdown of my life. And, you know, looking back, it, it's, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I'd gotten to a place where, you know, success was not about Mm, doing it the best way. It was about making money. It wasn't about what my heart was in. It wasn't about what the original vision of the business was. And I really, I'm actually grateful that the universe yanked the rug out from underneath me because I needed to change. I needed to look at the 360 degree of my business, of my life, of my person, of my health, of my happiness, of my kids, and decide what was going to be best in the big picture, in the long term, instead of just, you know, going after the numbers, the success. I was the richest I've ever been. And I was the most unhappiest I'd ever been at the same time. Imagine that. Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> it's, why, it's why we get on so well. We have a lot in common. So people listening, if they're very high powered or high functioning execs or entrepreneurs or business people, what would be your top takeaways for them really about, you know, not going after the numbers or whatever these new core philosophies that you've had these epiphanies about are really, how would you sum up, you know, your top advice to them? Well, I've been, I've been writing a lot about calling it wisdom from the back of the bike because on a tandem you ride on the back. And one of the key pieces that has really stood out for me is it doesn't happen just because you wish it to. Mm. And that, that really came true for me. One of the days we were cycling 200 kilometers in a day, in one day. So 200 kilometers was about eight hours on the bike. And so by the, we were at like 182 kilometers and I was hurting, I was hurting, right. But I needed to get to the end. And I kept wishing <laughs> that there was the end. I kept wishing like the next corner, the next hill, the next, that, that was going to be the 200K mark. And I kind of got this big, like, you can't, it's not going to happen just because you wish it. You're not going to get to the end just because you, you're sitting here wishing it to happen. And so wishing, and I think a lot of people do that. They wish they win the lottery. They wish that their, you know, spouse would change. They wish that they'd live somewhere else. They wish, they wish, they wish, 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 wish. It's not going to happen just by wishing for it. And if you really, truly want something, you really, truly have to go after it. You have to do the work. And the end of that, that 200K story is we had made arrangements for our ground crew to meet us at the 200 kilometer mark for coincidental reasons they actually stopped about 18 kilometers short because there was this really beautiful picturesque area for us to park and the kids to be out of the lake and everything so when I when we came up to them and we stopped I looked at the speedometer and it was 182k and they were like oh we're done for the day isn't it beautiful here and we should stop and my husband started to take the bike apart and the kids were all playing in the lake and I was like what 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 like we were supposed to do 200k today that was our goal how can we stop like 18 kilometers short we have to keep going and the kids looked at me and they're like oh just go ride around in a circle and you'll get your 18k and I was like what? Like I was really upset, but it was so fabulous because the universe orchestrated all of these situations for me to know, was I going to make my goal? Was I going to stop because it was convenient and it was easy and it was nice for everybody else? Or was I was going to keep going? And I actually 
kept going. You know me. I said to my husband, put the bike back together. I told the ground crew, you're going to meet us at 200K because I had a goal today and I was going to make that goal. And there was no way I was going to stop 18 kilometers short after I just cycled 182K. And so everybody got packed up and I knew people were upset and I knew people were a little bit ticked off. And I was riding the last 18K feeling bad because I'd made everyone upset. But something inside of me said, you cannot not go after your dream out of convenience. You can't give up so close to the deadline or to the finish line or to the goal just because it's convenient for everybody else. And yes, maybe it made them not so happy to pack up and move. But when they got to the finish line and they were all there and they were cheering us on, And they realized that I had reached a lifetime goal. Like I may never cycle 200 kilometers in one day again. They all said like, thanks for making us, like making us come here and reach your goal because seeing you not give up, seeing you not give in to convenience was really powerful. And my 12 year old said that to me. Oh, I love him. I love him. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you'd like to ask yourself? (laughs) What's next? (laughs) (laughs) So what is next? (laughs) Well, you know, I've had this idea about balloon riding across Asia. (laughs) Uh, Climbing uh, Victoria Falls. So those big dreams have come up for me. Of course, you know that I want to be on the cover of Vogue magazine because I really want to change the face of fashion. I just really want to awaken people up to what beauty really means and how at 50, you can wake up, get up off the couch. And so, you know, the backstory is I was 16 pounds overweight. So that's like four stone, I think. Like, you know, I mean, I was had all these pandemic pounds. I had been, you know, not out and about because it'd been winter. I had, you know, sort of the same melancholy that everyone was feeling. And I just really wanted to show people that you can have an idea, you can wake up one day, you can get up off the couch and you can go after it. You don't know, have to know how to do it. We didn't have our whole trip planned out. We didn't know all the hows. We just knew what we were going to do. And I've done that a lot with probably every one of my businesses. I didn't know how I was going to publish 12 books in 14 months, but I just knew I was going to do it. Um, I didn't know I was going to start a kid's clothing line and, and sell internationally around the world, but I just started doing it. And so I think the big piece is just to get started, is to really just get started and connect to the emotion, not the end result. And I really, I really think that for me going forward, and Rosalind, you'll be excited to know as you know, one of my closest friends, that Climbing Victoria Falls and balloon riding across Asia would be absolutely fabulous, but just really sitting into the the wonderful feeling of where I'm at right now, just absolutely enjoying today and knowing that everything that I do moving forward is absolutely enough and absolutely wonderful and absolutely icing on the cake. Uh, That is probably the best feeling and the best excitement I have for what's next. Well, you're choosing it and that's why it's so brilliant. And um... I, I also uh, shall pat myself on the back for being part of your journey about the mindset shift as well. So it's my absolute pleasure. So it's my absolute pleasure to to know you, to work with you, to interview you here today. Um, so much information for everybody. And I'll put links so obviously people can reach you and be part of your future excitement with future books. What's the next one you have planned? 
So the next book we're doing is calling Ignite Possibilities. And it really is about showing how anything is possible and how you can, the, these major life-changing trajectories that have happened when you sort of go against the norm and go against what people tell you isn't possible. And I do want to give you a shout out, uh, Rosalind, because you have been instrumental in, you know, really, truly supporting me in all of the little glitches that we get into. You know, so many times we talk about our successes, but there are glitches and bumps and road uh you know, obstacles along the way. And there are dark moments. And even when you're cycling, if you're going to go up a hill, guess what? There's going to be a point where you're going to go down a hill. And so to have someone in your life like Rosin supporting you. um, Thank you, my darling. Well, thank you. And thank you for joining us on Monkey Business podcast. It's been my pleasure. I've been joined by JB Owen, uh, international cyclist. I think I'm going to name her now as well. International businesswoman, entrepreneur, on her way to being on the cover of Vogue, um, successful publisher. Uh, I'm sure we can put details if people are interested in being in one of her books, such as Ignite Your Possibilities. I know you're always looking for committed authors, and I've certainly loved the journey with you for the three books I've been involved with. So JB Owen, my guest today on Monkey Business, thank you so much. You are as ever an inspiration. And I'm so happy about your epiphany as well. <laughs> I cannot tell you how happy I am. So thank you so much. And thank you. Blessings to you. Thank you, everyone. Blessings to you. You've been listening to Monkey Business and I'm Rosalind Palmer. Monkey Business, a podcast for business people to tame their monkey minds. And my guest in this episode has been the amazing J.B. Owen, often referred to as the pink billionaire. And she fuses bold business with a feminine flair. And in this episode, you've learned about how despite having lifelong hang-ups not being sporty, JB, for fun, cycled 5,000 kilometers across Canada on a tandem bicycle. What the wisdom from the back of that bike taught her about life and about business. How by mentally preparing for this amazing feat from somebody who really was not an athlete or a cyclist, she was able to get buy-in from her body to make the trip. More wisdom from the back of her bike including that a commitment and taking responsibility to what you've signed up means that you've signed up for it and you have to make it happen. How to love having to pivot and to sidebar and a phenomenal aha moment about how much emphasis we put on the numbers, on the numbers, on our scales, on our bank accounts, and we forget the joy of the journey. And her journey that she shares candidly is about getting over deep feelings of being not good enough. She also mentions the future of igniting possibilities for her, her family, new authors, and all those who want to join her in her global movement to be the most ignited versions of themselves. I'm one for sure. So thank you, J.B. Owen. I'm Rosalind Palmer and you've been listening to Monkey Business and you can contact me on www.rosalindpalmer.com. Tune in to the next episode, podcast available on all podcasting platforms.